I'm Melissa White, and welcome to the Spirit Room Podcast. This is a show to help inspire you to live your life to the fullest, but really to learn about those that guide us, our unseen helpers, guides, angels, loved ones in spirit that walk beside us in this life. I'll share with you personal experiences from my life as a professional medium and mentor. I'll also offer you insight into working with the spirit world and introduce you to guests that I find fascinating and that might lead you on your own journey to further discover your own soul's gifts. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Spirit Room Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa White, and I'm so delighted and so pleased to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Samantha Fay, and she's the author of The Awake Dreamer, Lucid Dreaming, Astral Travel, and Mastering the Dreamscape, which explores the concept of soul travel through dreaming. She co-hosts two podcasts, Psychic Teachers and Enlightened Empaths. She has advanced degrees in education and is a Reiki master who writes and teaches all over the world about dreaming, crystals, and intuition. So welcome, Samantha. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to chat with you. And also, I've had lots of questions recently from students and listeners all about dreams. So I thought that this would be, it would be the perfect guest to come and really speak on this subject. And I can't wait. I can't wait to get into it. Yay. So tell me first or tell us where in the world are you calling from? I am in the coastal area of North Carolina. Okay, wonderful, beautiful. And I guess we could start from the beginning. And when did you first realize your intuitive and mediumship abilities? Well, I think I always knew I was intuitive. I've had precognitive dreams and really fascinating experiences with my dreams that have told me little hints and clues of what's coming up. And I always got senses about people that later turned out to be true, but I really tried to push that down my whole life because it made me feel strange and and different and weird. And sometimes when you have a precognitive dream and then it comes true, you somehow feel responsible for it, even though that's not true. So I pushed it away for a really, really long time. And it wasn't until my late 20s, early 30s that I started getting into crystals and Reiki and meditation And that's really what opened it up wide for me. And certain events transpired where I felt as though I had no choice but to follow the spiritual path. Right, right. And I know your former husband was injured in the line of duty. And I was wondering, I know that that would have been a a huge catalyst for that. But could you tell us a bit about how spirit made themselves known to you during that time? Sure. It was it was a really interesting time because I had just started doing Reiki and meditating. And, and like I said, that really opened up my intuition, enhanced my dreams. And this was in 2005. And I started having these recurring dreams of someone getting shot in the neck. And I never saw a face. I would just see the bullet hitting a neck and a hand grasping the neck to, to staunch the flow of blood. And it It was over and over and over again, and it was really, really graphic. And of course, my thought was, oh my gosh, something's going to happen to Mike. 
So I made him wear his bulletproof vest. I made him wear this Archangel Michael medallion I had bought him and had blessed that he never wore because a lot of guys don't like to wear jewelry. But Mm. I started making him wear all of that to work. He was a police sergeant at the time. And also at that time, we would walk the beach almost every day. And I kept finding perfect heart-shaped seashells every day that we walked to the beach with the kids. It was really, really strange. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. Like someone's trying to tell me something, but you know how you don't want to believe anything bad's going to happen. Right. And of course, July 29th, it did happen. He was trying to apprehend a guy who had earlier in the day shot at another law enforcement officer. And Mike, being the brave soul he is, decided to take the call. And he was shot in the neck. And a lot of miracles occurred that night to ensure that he did eventually survive. It was a very, very long road. He was in a coma. He still suffers from an anoxic brain injury, but he has recovered. And I remember when I was sitting in the ICU waiting room with my sisters and my two best friends, luckily I had told people about these dreams that I'd been having for months. And I do recommend people do that. If you have a recurring dream, write it down, tell someone about it because it can be incredibly validating. Mm -hmm. And so as we're sitting there in that waiting room, my friends and my sisters kept saying, this is what your dreams have been trying to tell you. And as they said that many times that night, you know, we were still waiting for word from the doctor. So it was a very tense, stressful, awful evening. I just kind of slipped away and I went to the hospital chapel and I, I got down on my knees and I said, God, if you want me to do something with this weird world of intuition and, and these dreams that keep coming true, I'll do that. I will. But you have to make that man live. And <laughs> I know I just said I struck a bargain with God, but that's really what I did. And the doctors told me that night that he would not survive. Our our priest, Monsignor Matt, came in and gave him last rites and and even told me he would pay for the funeral. The church would pay for the funeral. The next day, the doctors told me, okay, we don't know how he survived the night, but he's not going to survive this night. The third day, he got pneumonia. The fourth day, they had to put a trachea. You know, it was bad. But he did survive. And so I thought about that bargain I made with God. and, And when he was finally out of the hospital, and was doing rehab and all of that stuff to learn to walk and talk again, I signed up for an intuitive development class. And I really never looked back. Eventually, I gave a reading to my department chair. I was teaching English at a local college, and her father had just died. So I I connected her to her father. And a couple of weeks later, I go into her office to get my schedule for the next semester, and she handed me a blank piece of paper and I'm not tooting my own horn or anything, but I was a good teacher and you know well-regarded and respected. And I said, are you firing me? And she said, she said, no, Samantha, you have a gift from God. I'm giving you your wings. Go and do God's work. And if you want this job, you know, it'll always be here for you. So I really felt that I was kind of pushed and prodded and, and really led every step of the way to do this work. Oh, definitely. I mean, I didn't even realize that it had been so dire that they had told you he wasn't go- that Mike wasn't going to survive. I didn't know that. So I can only imagine that type of stress, strain. And then also, is it true that you were pregnant with one of your children at the time? Yes, I did not know I was pregnant at the time. Mm-hmm. But I found out when he was in the hospital that I was pregnant. And that was another miraculous thing because he was, you know, in a coma. And I don't know if anyone has ever seen anyone in that state, but they have to strap their arms down. He had all these chest tubes in him. He, as I said, he had the trachea 
the tube thing in his mouth. It was bad. And I found out I was pregnant and I was of course so excited, but I didn't want to raise these three children on my own. At the time, my oldest was four and my other daughter was almost three. And I went into his hospital room late one night. The nurses were so nice. They did not make me a, a deal with visiting hours. They just let mm-hmm. me stay there. And I held his hand and I said, Mike, we're pregnant. If you can hear me, if you're alive in there, please squeeze my hand. And thank God the nurse was there because it's so nice to have someone else see it. But he squeezed my hand. Wow. Yeah. And we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. And when he woke up from the coma, the first thing he said was that he was hungry. But, you know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But when I was finally able to talk to him, I said, you know, what did you see? Because I kept wondering, like, did he have a near-death experience? Did he see the light? Did he see his grandmother? And he said, all I all I remember is dancing with a little girl with curly hair. Right. And about four months later, we found out we were having a little girl. And I, I just always wonder if she was keeping him company during that time. Oh, I bet. It's so, that is miraculous. And I think it's really common for lots of us to have these I don't know if you want to say, I mean, traumatic and very like life altering experiences that do kind of open us up, you know, or sort of seem to precede that big sort of awakening where we can't deny it any longer. So I I think it's always interesting to hear that from other people, because I think something that's in common that we have in common. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, I wish life-changing traumatic events didn't have to happen to make us aware that we are all intuitive and we can engage the spiritual world. But I think for those of us like me who are just kind of stubborn and I was just so fixated on being normal and fitting in and not standing out from the crowd, it, it took me a long time to really be able to say, yeah, I am a little weird and different and I do love crystals and I do love the new moon and the full moon. And I read my astrology horoscope every day and and that's okay. Definitely. No, same. And it was a similar sort of thing. It did take something quite big and life-changing, you know, but I think, yeah, that's sometimes, sometimes what it takes. And I was going to ask you too, because I love your connection with mother Mary and I feel a closeness with her too. And I was wondering if you could share one of your mother Mary stories with our listeners. Sure. So yeah, I I love Mother Mary. I don't think you have to be a Catholic or Christian or anything to reach out to her for help, advice, and assistance. I think she's the mother to all of us, and you can call her Mother Earth or you know whatever name you choose to use. But I've always felt a close connection to her since I was my earliest memories. And when I was in the third or fourth grade, my mom was really, really sick. And she was in the hospital for two weeks before Christmas. And so every day my dad would bring us to visit her after school. And I guess I like hospital chapels. I don't know, Melissa, but I remember we were hanging out with my mom in the hospital and I got a little bored. And so I wandered and I found the hospital chapel. And, you know, no one was really telling me what was wrong with my mom, you know, how it is when you're a little kid. And so I didn't know how dire it was. And And I said to Mother Mary in that chapel, I said, if anything happens to my mom, or even if she is okay, can you be my mom? My mom is a very difficult, interesting person, and we don't have the best relationship. And I think even as a young girl, I knew that she didn't have very strong maternal instincts. 
And maybe that's why I always felt so pulled to Mother Mary. I don't know. But I asked her to step in and and be my mom. And as a little kid and a Catholic, I instantly felt guilty and I apologized, but I still repeated my prayer. So my dad comes and finds me and he's like, all right, let's go. We got to get some dinner. And we're walking out to the hospital and I stepped on something squishy in the parking lot. And I looked down and it was a little like felted and crocheted ornament of Mother Mary. And I just thought that was her way of saying, I heard you. And yes, of course, I'm always your mother. I'm everyone's mother. And the thing that made it odd, and I didn't think about this as a kid, but just reflecting back on that, I lived in a town that was primarily Southern Baptist at the time. There was only one Catholic church in that whole town. So to have a Mother Mary ornament even at all in that town was pretty, you know, statistically not going to happen. Right. So it's absolutely incredible. And I think it's one of those things that would really be such a comfort at that moment, exactly when you needed it. Yeah. And it, she just always appears for me when I, when I, and I don't mean appear like literally, but mm-hmm. I mean, whenever I pray to her truly from my heart and ask for her assistance, she's never failed me. Mm-hmm. I remember being a kid and the Reader's Digest, how they used to always have those, you know, they had little stories and things yeah. like that, miraculous things. There was one that was about the situation that this lady found herself in and it was life or death. And she called upon Mother Mary and she survived. And I remember reading it as a kid and being so moved by that, touched by it. And so I just thought, hmm, well, if she can, if she can say the Hail Mary and she can have that connection with her, then I will too. You know, so that's how I kind of just started to have that sort of relationship with her is just from reading that little story. But it's amazing. It's amazing how she can show up in your life. How has she shown up for you? I feel like it's been, it's been sort of like one of those things, especially connected to anything to do with my kids. So I have two kids, my son's 19, and then my daughter's just turning 12 tomorrow. And any time that I've had, like with my son, I had a near-death experience a week after he was born. And basically I was calling on her and like praying that I would get to live, to raise him because I was getting wheeled into this exploratory surgery emergency exploratory surgery so they had no idea what was what was happening and if I would if I would survive and I just I prayed to her and I had an experience where it was both of my dad's parents like my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side that came and they didn't it wasn't like apparition like I saw them with my physical eyes but they came and I really clairsentiently felt them and heard them and told me you know I was going to be okay and there was this feeling that Mother Mary's presence was so strong as I was sitting there sort of like just in tears like really really probably the most afraid I've ever been in my life and things like that it seems to be when it's like I need comfort or there's something to do with anything to do with the kids it's like she's right there. Oh, that's so beautiful. Wow. Can I tell another one of my favorite Mother Mary stories? Yeah. So when I was first married, we were looking for our first house. And I found this house that I absolutely loved. And Mike said, okay, but you know we can't afford it. It was like $25,000, $30,000 more than the bank had approved us for. 
And I still couldn't, I couldn't get the house out of my mind. And I would make him like every Sunday after we'd go to church, I'd make him drive by it and it was still for sale. And so I said, I'm going to do a nine day novena to Mary and I'm going to get this house. And so I started, I did my nine day novena and the next Sunday we drive by the house and it's open. There's a truck in the driveway and there's someone inside. And I'm like, oh, let's go and see if we can see the inside. So we go inside and there's a plumber and he's gathering up all his tools. And I said, hey, what's going on with this house? Because it was a brand new neighborhood and all the other houses were selling really, really fast. And he said, well, I'm getting my tools out of here because this builder is going into foreclosure on two other properties down the road. And so I don't know what's happening. And I was like, huh. So I said to Mike, we have nothing to lose. So we just put in a ridiculously low offer on this beautiful brand new house and he took it. And I said, that's Mother Mary. And he was like, uh-huh, okay, I think that's just the economy. And I'm mm-hmm. like, all right. Now, granted, we had to buy the house as is. So there was like no grass or there were no bushes, nothing. And just just the house was done. So we asked people who wanted to give us a housewarming gift, you know, bring a bush or a sod of grass. <laughs> so <laughs> my brother-in-law came over with all these bushes and he's got the shovel and he's digging the holes. And I, can I swear on this show or no? Yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) So he goes, son of a bitch, Samantha, who the hell have you been rambling on about that you prayed to for this house? And I said, Mother Mary, why? And he goes, look at this. And I looked down. Now, he had dug like a four-foot hole because it was a huge, you know, fully grown bush. And there's rosary beads down there. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. You can't can't make it up and you can't even deny, like, how how is it even possible, other than this divine intervention, that they would be digging in that exact place? Right. And it was, like, perfectly centered and it was there. And I told him, I said, leave it there. You know, I want it to stay there to bless the house. Oh, I love it. I mean, it just gives me chills. And it's one of those things that it will stick with you forever, you know, that feeling. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the key for everyone. Like you don't have to even believe in Mother Mary, but as long as you believe in something higher than yourself, that's, and I don't mean higher in a, you know, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. I just mean an elevated being that has your best interest at heart. I truly believe they're always there wanting to help us, but, but we really have to ask for it. And you don't have to do a nine day novena. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do any of that. But I do think you have to put yourself in that surrendered position of asking for that help and guidance. Yes, exactly. And it it is that continual kind of surrender. And I also think too, like something that's, yeah, greater, greater than us, you know, and just having that trust and belief that you are being guided. And then once you have that, I think sometimes it's that initial experience that kind of shows you after that, you just kind of carry that with you. And I think it's just such a blessing that we get to experience that in this life. I do too. I do too. That's amazing. So, okay. So really want to ask you about dreams and dream interpretation. And I am especially grateful that you agreed to come on the show because your book, The Awake Dreamer, is filled with so much amazing information, insights. And I love that there's even little exercises for us to try. So first of all, I want to say congratulations, because that's a major thing. That's a major accomplishment, writing that and publishing that book. But, you know, what was the process like for you? Like, what was the writing process like for this book? It was really 
it was really fun and, and easy in a way. And I don't mean that like it just flowed out of me or I channeled it, but I had been saving up all these stories for so many years and I'd shared a lot of my dream stories on my podcast. So other listeners felt comfortable sharing their amazing dream stories with me. So it was really fun to just give myself that grace of space in my day to sit in my little writing office and put it all together. And then I love, I'm very geeky, I love research. So I had a lot of fun researching famous people who had these amazing soul travel dreams and and connecting all of the dots and really answering some questions I've always had, which is where does our soul go when we sleep? I mean, our body has to rest, our mind needs to rest, but our soul, who's always connected to the divine source, never needs sleep or rest. So I always believed that it's traveling when we sleep. And it was just exhilarating to do the research and find that stories and examples throughout history back me up on that. I love it. I love it. And the book is filled with all of that research, which is amazing. And did you find, I'm just curious, did you find that the, like devoting more time, I guess, and energy to that kind of creative endeavor, like, did you find that that was helpful to kind of balance the energy with everything else that you're doing, like with, with readings and the teaching and everything like that? Yes. Yeah. I found it hard to balance it all. But I did find it very helpful. And what I've noticed is that whatever you're focused on during your day is going to show up in your dreams. So if you're reading and researching and talking about really cool spiritual stuff, you tend to have more vivid spiritual dreams. Mm -hmm. And if you are focused on worries and stress and anxieties, you tend to either not remember your dreams or have disorganized or sometimes frightening dreams. And yeah. so it was it was interesting to see that play out. For sure. I was just talking about it in class, like a, a few of the classes that I'm teaching and just talking about it with my students helped me to start remembering my dreams more. And I hadn't even really set that intention formally. Like I hadn't said to Spirit, hey guys, can you help me recall my dreams now? I was just mentioning, talking about it. And then all of a sudden, I started to remember them and have these like vivid experiences again. And I hadn't had it for a while. So it goes to show like it's very much there for us. You know, it's just a matter of like being, I think, being more aware and just being open to it. Yes, I do too. And, you know, I think that our higher self and our guides, our angels, our team of helpers, I feel that they're always trying to connect with us and help us stay on our path. And oftentimes during the day, we're so busy, we're so distracted, we're so caught up with everything we have to do and busy, 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 go, go, go. And I think sometimes the dream space is the only time they have to get a message through to us. Oh, totally. So agree. And I found too, with some of some of the students I've worked with, that's how they sort of started to come into their like intuition and recognizing their abilities was through their dreams. And then once they started focusing more on like purposely connecting with spirit and purposely having the intention to work with their intuition, not that the dreams stopped, but it was almost like, oh, they didn't have such like kind of, I guess, intense or sometimes like crazy things happening in the dream state. I think because I think spirit was like, oh, she's aware of us. Like we can reach her when she's awake too. You know, it's not just only reserved for dreams. 
Yeah, I completely agree. One of one of the first really amazing dreams I had after my spiritual awakening, I woke up. This happens to me a lot when I have I call them soul travel dreams. I woke up in my bed, but I knew I was dreaming and there was an, a very kind older gentleman there with a red baseball cap on and he said, "Hey, I'm red. How are you?" And I said, "I'm I'm good. How are you?" And he said, I want you to come into your kitchen and meet some people. Can you do that for me? And I said, okay. And actually, I don't think I said anything. I think I just nodded to him. I was so like stunned and shocked in the dream. And I walk out into my kitchen and it's filled with people. And he said, go on, darling. They just want to shake your hand. And the minute I would shake each person's hand, I would witness their last moments on earth. And Red was telling me that some people have a hard time recognizing that they have died if they die. Like a lot of these people had died of a heart attack or an accident. It was very, very sudden. And he said they need a medium, you know, someone who has a foot in both worlds to witness their death and validate that it's okay to go. And so he walks me back to my bed and he tucks me in, pulls the covers up to my chin and he sat down and he said, now, was that so scary, darling? And I shook my head no. And and he said, We've been trying to come to you for years, but you wouldn't listen. And finally, I came up with this idea because it's not so scary in a dream, is it? And I nodded and he patted my hand and he said, that's good. You did good tonight. And so I just think, you know, that is often how they will reach out to us first because it's not so scary in a dream. True. And the subconscious is wide open. And so it's kind of like this, this perfect, I think, opening, you know, way for them to kind of get in and have us hear what they're trying to say. Yeah. So I love the exercise you mentioned about consulting with your dream team. And I was just thrilled to just even think about that because I have a few that I'm just like, oh, I, I want, like, I had such fun choosing, you know, who I would ask. Can you tell our listeners about that? Sure. So this idea was created by Napoleon Hill when he was putting together his research for Think and Grow Rich. And he really believes in the power of the imagination. So what he would do before he would fall asleep is he would put together this dream team. And it just had a bunch of people throughout history who had passed away that he admired. One of them was Abraham Lincoln, but all these all these great leaders and thinkers and wise people. And every night he would just lay in bed and think about this book and think about other issues in his life. And he would visualize that they were like sitting around a like a conference table and ask them questions and he would imagine their answers. And he believed this was all happening in his imagination. And, you know, maybe it was. But oftentimes he would go to sleep and then have dreams with these some of these wise people in the dream giving him more advice. And so he wrote the book and, you know, we know it became a bestseller and helped a lot of people. And a few years later, he had a dream where Abraham Lincoln came to him and said, why'd you stop the meetings? We miss you. (laughs) (laughs) So it made him think, was that really happening in my imagination? So one of the exercises I put together in the book is just guiding readers to create their own dream team of people that they think will be helpful and insightful and can give them more knowledge and insight either in their quote unquote imagination or in the dream state. And, you know, I find it interesting because I've done this myself. One of the people on my dream team was William Butler Yeats. And I had this dream where we were in this ornate library and, and he came up and sat down and talked to me. 
And I was reading another book on dreams. I think it was by Robert Moss, but I have to look at my notes. And he talked about having a dream where Yates visited him and it was in an elaborate library. And it was exactly like the one I had dreamed of. And I thought, huh, is that a coincidence? And also on my team, I had asked Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She had she recently passed away and she's a prolific writer in the world of spirituality. And I just, just really admired and respected her work. And I asked her to help me with this writing project because I had originally to this publisher, I had submitted my memoir and they had said, we love your writing. We love your stories, but no one's buying memoirs anymore. So send us something else. And I was like, okay. And I didn't know what else to send them. And I had this dream where Rosemary Ellen Guiley told me to write about all these dreams I've been having. And I thought, okay. And I submitted that and they took it. And that's how the awake dreamer came to be. But what I was looking through Rosemary Ellen Guiley's list of work, her first four or five books were on dreams. Oh, wow. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I mean, it speaks volumes to the power of intention. Just asking and setting the intention of what you would like some assistance with, how you could receive some help, and it shows up. It does show up. And I always think about, like, imagine, you know, I don't know, 70 years from now, 100 years from now, (laughs) Melissa, you're over there in heaven, the other side, whatever you want to call it, and some new budding intuitive has listened to your podcast and admires your work and says, hey, will you come on my dream team and help me? I mean, wouldn't you be so honored and excited and be like, yes, of course I'll help you. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's so wonderful to think that that bond and that relationship can exist, can be created and can be strengthened, you know, on either side. Like, that's amazing. It is. Beautiful. So, okay. So the, the one of the big questions everyone wants to know about is the difference between like a regular dream and a dream where it's actually predictive. Well, a regular dream is often a little bit disjointed. It might have symbols. It might have strange things in it, like a unicorn or just, you know, a sun shining and it's nighttime. it's, It's very, very symbolic. And it doesn't often make sense. It doesn't necessarily stay in your head all day unless you write it down first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. and you kind of go around and around it. Like last night I had a dream where I live, we have a beach on one side and a river on the other side. And last night I had a dream that I was walking along the river and there were dolphins in the dream. Now there's never going to be a dolphin in a river. So that's right. that's just a normal dream. It's a symbolic dream. It was probably telling me to be more playful because I've been working too much these last few weeks. Right. That's how you know. But when you have what I call a soul travel dream, it's very vivid. It makes sense. It usually has a purpose. It often repeats, especially if it's precognitive, it will tend to repeat. So you might have it more than one time, and it might not be twice in a week, but you might have it two times in a month. And when you wake up, even if you don't write it down, which I still recommend you do, but even if you don't, you remember it. You remember the feeling, you remember the sensation, you might even remember the smells, but you remember everything about that dream. And you feel as though you were actually there. It feels almost realer than the reality we're living in right now. 
Okay. No, that's really good information for people to know. But what do you suggest as far as, okay, say you recognize it is like something that is precognitive and it is repeating and it feels like so real. And if the information is like, what if someone does not know necessarily what to do with that information? Well, I always just say pray. Yeah. Let's pray. Pray for guidance, pray for assistance, pray for help. Pray for discernment so that you understand, is there anything you can do about that? You know, Mm -hmm. for example, if you take 9-11, the amount of people who dreamt that something like that was going to occur is statistically off the charts. Is there anything they could have done to prevent that? No, I don't think so. I think for whatever reason, we can't understand that Mm -hmm. traumatic, awful event was going to happen. Yeah, So oftentimes when you have precognitive dreams about these big destined events, it's almost like, you know, we're just, we're not supposed to change it or alter it or feel responsible for it. It's just us tapping into the collective. Now, if you take my example of having this precognitive dream of, of the shooting in the line of duty, I don't think I could have changed that either. You know, for example, that night I begged him not to go in that night. I remember waking up with a very, very sick feeling in my stomach and I asked him to please call out sick that night and he couldn't and he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. All his guys were out on training. He wouldn't do it. So sometimes I think these big events do come to us in precognitive dreams just because they're destiny markers in our soul plan. And I think a part of our soul remembers them. But what I did do was I prayed a lot and I asked you know, the angels to surround him with protection and all of that. And I, I do believe that help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do wonder sometimes if there's a reason behind, you know, having that dream, it could be also just preparation. Sometimes just having that knowledge, even if we don't know when or how, or we don't totally make sense of the, all of the details, it could be also like a way for us to prepare ourselves too. Yeah. And I think it's comforting too, because it reminds us that while most of life is free will, there are some things that are destined and and that's okay too. And Mm -hmm. and I think our part in this life is to learn how to go with the flow, with those moments where we do have total choice and free will and those moments where we really don't, we don't have any control. This is a destined faded moment, but we do have a choice in how we respond to it. Yeah, And I do think that these dream experiences can bring us a lot of comfort and and preparation. I had a beautiful dream when I was pregnant with my first daughter where these these three women came to my door and they I was making a birthday cake and they asked if they could come in and, and have some cake with me. And they didn't have wings, but I don't know why in the dream I knew they were angels. And one of them grabbed my hands and she said, Olivia's coming early, but don't worry, she's going to be just fine. And when I went into labor early, I was scared, but I thought of that dream and I thought, nope, she's going to be just fine. And it allowed me to have a very peaceful, fairly easy labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having that, that sort of pre reassurance. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. What about for recalling? Some people have trouble remembering any tips on that. Yes, there are a lot of tips. I have a whole chapter devoted on that in the book. But Mm -hmm. briefly, one of the best things you can do, as I've mentioned before, is write down your dreams. 
And if you're not like a big writer or you don't have a journal, you can just use an app on your phone and just hit the microphone and talk it into there the minute you wake up. And I always tell people date your dream month, day, and year because you'll be surprised how you'll forget. And it's fascinating when you record your dreams because you can see a pattern. You might remember your dreams at the beginning of the month or the end of the month. You might have more dreams around the full moon. And so it's interesting to start taking note of where do your dreams tend to cluster in terms of recall. Also, what you do the two hours before you go to sleep is really important for dream recall. So if you're falling asleep to TV or if you have a router or any blue light in your bedroom, that's going to inhibit your ability to hit the REM stage of your sleep cycle, which is where we have our dreams and and store our dreams for recall. So I always recommend trying to sleep in the dark if possible and get any blue lights out of your bedroom and avoid falling asleep to TV. If you can fall asleep after doing some light yoga or some meditation or journaling or reading something that's calm and uplifting, that's going to greatly enhance your ability to recall your dreams. We also have the majority of our important dreams in the last third of our sleep cycle. So a very easy and great way to increase your dream recall is to set your alarm clock an hour earlier than you need to wake up. So if you have to get up every day at 6 a.m. for work, set your alarm for 6 a.m., but set another one for 5 a.m. And when that one goes off, don't hit the snooze. Just turn that 5 a.m. alarm off, knowing that the 6 a.m. is right behind it. But in that last hour, you will probably have a pretty vivid dream that you will remember. That's awesome. No, those are great, great tips. And I do recommend getting the book and reading it because there's so much, so much amazing information within it. So thank you. Thank you for sharing all of those tips. The other thing I really wanted to make sure I got to ask you about was working with crystals, because I know your love for them. And I wondered if you had to choose, like if you had to choose five, what would you say are your top five favorite to work with? Okay, so I knew you were going to ask me this, and I still can't come up with my top five. I really can't. It's like you saying to me, who's your favorite child? I don't have a favorite child. <laughs> but I will I will say this. If I could only have one stone for the rest of my life, which would break my heart, but if I could, it would be clear quartz. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not like a super amazing groovy answer because everyone's like, well, clear quartz is everywhere. But I love clear quartz. There are seven master crystals within the clear quartz family. The way they grow, the way they can do things for you and amplify and clear and cleanse your energy is absolutely amazing. I recently was in Colorado and I have been searching for a manifestation crystal. Have you heard of that type of crystal? No. Oh, it's so cool. It's when naturally a fully formed clear quartz crystal grows inside another fully formed clear quartz crystal. Oh. So you can look inside the crystal and see a full crystal within it. And it is said to help you manifest your dreams and goals. So cool. Like who knew? There's bridge crystals. These are clear quartz that have another quartz that grows across it. And that's said to help you bridge yourself between one stage of life and the other stage of life you're trying to go into next. There are certain windows, like if you see a parallel shape that grows to the left of a clear quartz, 
if you meditate with that, it helps you release and access past life issues or past issues in your current life that are holding you back. But if you have a clear quartz that has a parallel window going to the right, you, that's said to help you see things into the future that are coming your way. So there's just, with clear quartz, there's so many amazing, cool things, and I am forever studying them and learning them. I also love Labradorite. I think for any intuitive or especially an empathic intuitive, you should have Labradorite. I call it the bodyguard because what it does is it helps you, it helps shield your aura from any negativity coming at you, but it doesn't shield you so strongly like a black stone will, like hematite or black tourmaline. It's almost like a spaghetti strainer because it shields you from the negative stuff, but it allows the positive stuff to still come towards you. So if anyone is listening to this and they're like, I think I'm intuitive. I think I'd like to try meditating, but it all kind of scares me. I don't know if I'm going to encounter something negative. Labradorite is a great stone to work with because it it does that. It protects you, but allows the good stuff to still come in. So I think that's a good one. I also love Praynite, which is a beautiful green stone. It's called the Healer's Healer. And it really helps people who are givers and just have a beautiful, compassionate, generous heart to learn how to take care of themselves as well. Mm. If anyone's dealt with a difficult childhood, Smithsonite is a great stone for healing from that. Rose quartz, I think, is beautiful for any kind of love you want to bring in or give out in your life. Rhodochrosite is also great for that as well. So there's so many, I can't name them. (laughs) I love those. I love all the ones you mentioned. And you find with the Pranite, that's kind of like an angelic kind of connection. Do you feel that with the Pranite too? Yes and no. My angel stones are Celestite, Angelite, Seraphonite, Petalite. So I love to go to those for angels. But I really think any stone that you decide to work with, it's going to let you know and you can let it know what you want to do together. And so if you have a pray night and you feel that that connects you with your angel, then ignore what all the books say because that's mm-hmm. what that stone's going to do for you. Yeah, totally. No, I agree. That's amazing. Well, okay, so I have one more question. Over the years of doing readings and creating shows for both the podcasts and all of the teachings, what do you feel has inspired you the most? Oh, the listeners. A hundred percent. I am constantly learning from people who listen to the show and I'm so humbled by the time they take in their life to reach out to me and tell me this helped me or could you work on this topic or could you teach about this or sharing their personal stories and their dreams with me. I am constantly learning from the listeners and I just think it's so amazing. You know, when Deb and I started out with podcasting 13 years ago, it was just the two of us and this little microphone. We had no idea if we would reach anyone or if what we were saying would even matter or make a difference. And I just find it just such a gift that it is helping people. And, you know, the listeners feel like family. So that's really what's inspired me the most. That's beautiful. And I mean, it's been, you guys have reached so many 
people and they're such a beautiful dynamic like I always think about you and Deb because you're the Gemini and she's the Libra and I'm also a Gemini and two of my very dearest friends are Libras and there's just something about that energy and the dynamic that's so beautiful so I love to listen well, we're so, we've known each other so long. Sometimes like, I was talking to her on the phone the other day and I hung up and my daughter goes, you guys are so mean to each other. Like we just say whatever we need to say, you know, like, and I just, it's so nice to have someone in your life that you can be that open and honest with. And, and I just, I'm very, very grateful to her and, and to Denise, who I do Enlightened yes. Empaths with. It's been such a joy. It's phenomenal. And I just, yeah, it's it's amazing. You can feel the authenticity in both of those shows. I love them both. So I just want to thank you so much for coming and for sharing so much. And it's been such a pleasure. Like, thank you so, so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoy getting to talk to you. Yeah. And tell everyone where they can find you. Sure. So they can go to samanthafay.com. It's Faye like Tina Fay, no relation. <laughs> And you can find The Awake Dreamer really anywhere online, Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or preferably your local bookstore. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I will thank our listeners for being here. And as always, you know where to find me, melissawhitemedium.com. And we'll leave you with that. Thank you so much, Samantha. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or feel free to leave a rating and a review. You can follow me on Instagram at Melissa White Medium or on Facebook, Psychic Medium Melissa White. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.